grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you are here. As I contemplated the creation of this podcast and the conversations I wanted to have and the information that I wanted to share, one of the things that was important to me was having conversations and presenting information that represents different spiritual and religious beliefs. Because just as everyone mourns differently, people have different faiths and different philosophical beliefs, and I feel that that needs to be a part of the conversation. And these differing beliefs need to be honored especially in this space of pregnancy and infant loss. Sometimes a lot of the information can be very secular or it can be very Christian. And for many people that is perfect, that's exactly what they're looking for. And for others, it isn't meaningful and it can even be hurtful in some ways. Again, my intention is to provide a safe space. And so in that, I am extremely grateful to have this beautiful conversation with Isa Guchardi. Isa was my guest on the Birthies podcast. It was my 100th episode, and she shared her experience of the Great Mother. And being brought up Catholic and having an aunt that was a nun, the concept of the Great Mother is just very comforting to me, and I find so much benefit in it. I have had a relationship with Mother Mary since I was a very small child, and so that concept of the Great Mother easily lends itself to me in the form of Mother Mary. And yet, as Isa and I talk about in that episode, it doesn't have to take on that form. It can be very individual. And so when Isa found out that I work closely with families grieving the loss of a child and was starting this podcast, she kindly volunteered to be a guest again. And I was just thrilled because I was wanting to ask her anyway. And so this is our conversation, and I'm just so grateful for the places that our conversation went and for her wisdom and her insights. And so a bit more about Isa. Isa Gachardi is the founding director and lead teacher of the Foundation of the Sacred Stream. The workshops and training programs of the Foundation are a part of her larger vision for helping people who are interested in stepping into greater consciousness 
and leading happier lives. Her primary focus is on teaching, writing, and curriculum development. Isa is also the creator of the groundbreaking therapeutic model, Depth Hypnosis, and the author of the best-selling book, Coming to Peace, as well as her new book, The New Return to the Great Mother, Birth, Initiation, and the Sacred Feminine. Bruce Lipton, author of The Biology of Belief, says of the book, Issa's work represents a life-enhancing prescription for self-healing and transformation that empowers women to gain sovereignty over their physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Welcome, Issa, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I really appreciate it. I'm so grateful to have you here and to discuss grief and loss and bring in the perspective of the great mother and how that could help facilitate some comfort and some healing for those that are grieving the loss of their baby, of their pregnancy. Sure. Well, as you know, I've written a book called The New Return to the Great Mother. And in this book, I just love to show it because it's so pretty. It is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. (laughs) Actually, uh, just it's kind of relevant to where we are right now in terms of the subject of the great mother and the perspectives on grief and loss that she might provide. This is a tea leaf, a T-I leaf. It's a plant that you find throughout the Pacific and throughout the Pacific and all of the different cultures where it grows, it's always planted in front of the home as a way to ward off unhappiness or difficulties. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I grew up in the Pacific. So as a kid, I used to play with these plants all the time. I used to, I used to crazy things. I used to like make them into horse tails and, you know, put a horse tail in my shorts and jump around like a horse. (laughs) (laughs) It was my favorite thing to do. But these plants have had a fascination for me my whole life because they can be very big and they can be very beautiful like this one. And they are very protective. And that's the reason that I wanted to bring this up because they are protective. It's on my book. And the great mother is also very protective. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to write the book and make sure that birthing women and their partners and those that are trying to get pregnant and those that are not able to hold pregnancies have some kind of a stable, steady place of wisdom and balance to come back to within themselves Therefore, we have the meditation that's in the book that helps you connect with the power of the great mother as you're going through any of the aspects of birthing that are actually part of the birthing process, including loss, including grief. And these are things that are often not talked about in the focus on having a successful birth. And I think that It's important to remember that when you can connect with this inner guidance in the form of the great mother, that she is there and this field of experience is there supporting you and supporting the process, whether or not you're able to bring a pregnancy to term or whether or not your child is healthy, that there's this steady place that 
people can return to. And of course, the qualities of the great mother are those of the great feminine, the qualities of the earth herself, which is nurturing, caring, expansive, embracing, and very much involved with the creative process. And one of the things that people tend to forget about the creative process is that in order for something to be created, it has to draw from something that was not there before and, uh, or in that form. And so you always have forms that are changing and you always have this process, not always, but frequently you have a process where one form is falling away as another form is emerging. And this is something that I talk about in the book in terms of the initiation process that all women's biology bring them through, which is this movement toward these different passages where women are moving from one form to another, you know, in terms of the first initiation being born, of course, you're moving from being a being that is dependent and in water to one that is independent and breathing air, right? Then in puberty, you have the child falling away as the adult woman or the adult male is taking form. And then with menses, every month, you have something falling away and something coming forward to potentially provide the environment for something to be born. And then, of course, the sexual encounter with the other, one sense of self shifts radically in that process. And then, of course, the birthing process and then menopause, and then death. And these are all different moments where there's one change of form and often one form falling away. Certainly with death, our life falls away and we move to another place or experience. With menopause, the ability to give birth fades away and that creative principle is held deeply within the self rather than being expressed externally. And so you have within each of these initiations, a big change. And within the birthing process itself, which is arguably one of the most important of these initiations, you also have the mirror of it, which is the initiation of death. You know, I think that people do tend to forget in the modern time that birthing has always been fraught with the potential of not only a, a healthy, live child and a healthy live mother, but there's also always been the possibility of complications that would prevent that from happening. And we tend to try to erase that in this culture. It's along with the whole rest of the way the culture approaches death and approaches loss. And especially I've worked with women a lot who have lost children and who have lost pregnancies or have decided to terminate pregnancies and have regrets around that. And the thing that they're struggling with is, you know, what is the relationship to death? What is the relationship to birth, to life? How are these reflections of one another? And how do I bring them together when they seem so opposite? And this is where the experience of the great mother is really helpful because she embraces all experience. And if you look at the natural world, there is death happening all the time. And there is birth happening all the time. There's not sort of like this sense that death is over there and that, you know, it's not to be spoken of or seen or even investigated. Right. It's all part of the birthing process and creative process of the earth. 
you know, you have a tree dying, providing all of this life for all of the insects that take root in it, for the woodpecker that and knocks on it to knock out those insects. And it has the powder that's left that nourishes the soil that then is becomes the womb for another seed to grow, right? It's all part of that process. There's not the birthing process is not separate from the death process. And I think knowing that the great mother holds all of this within her purview and having the experience of this inner guidance supporting you, no matter what aspect of childbirthing or you're moving through, I think is really very stabilizing. Yeah. So there's a very long answer to your question. No, it's perfect. And as you were speaking so eloquently on all of this, you're right. When we are giving birth, especially death is pushed aside and they're very separate. And understandably, when we're pregnant, we don't want to be thinking about the loss of our child, but in that separation, I feel like we don't have enough support when we have incurred a loss of our pregnancy or a loss of our baby or a loss of a child in the first year of life. There's not that space to be held, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think a lot of women feel pretty lost. Yeah. Especially because there's so much... I mean, grief is such a complicated issue. Yeah. I remember I sent you the talk that I gave at St. Mary's Cathedral for a group called Spirit Babies, which is a group that is also dedicated to helping women who have lost or terminated pregnancies or lost children. And they have a ceremony every year. And for several years, I spoke there and I held the ceremony for them in the church. But the interesting thing that was true every time that I gave this talk and conducted this ceremony was that women did not think that they were mothers anymore because they had lost children. Yes, yes, you're right. And I understand why that is. I mean, I can see. uh, Yeah, I mean, in some ways it's like, yeah, but no, because women have gone through the experience of holding life within them. Or they have gone through the experience of longing to hold life within them and being separated from them. And by in longing to hold life within them, they are longing to embody that great creative principle of the great mother. And they are separate from that and they feel a loss, right? Right. And the women who had lost, there were so many women that would come to that ceremony. I mean, those ceremonies, the church was filled filled. And it was people from all religions. And I think a lot of them really felt like they were taking refuge in even being able to have someone talk about their experience or acknowledge it. And I remember the first time I said, it's going to come to me again. I said, you are still mothers, you know, and there was this like, sob this collective sob that just mm-hmm. you know this wail that just came out of so many of the women in that beautiful little part of the church just like a lovely little chapel that was part of the larger the cathedral 
and it echoed, it reverberated throughout the cathedral. Oh, wow. And, you know, I thought how awful that they have believed that whatever experience they have had in caring for this child is somehow negated because the child died, right? Yeah. There's not a negation there. There's still the loving, caring, nurturing, creative passage and all of the ways in which the woman has had to change the way that they think about themselves and they think about others and the way that they think about their own needs and other people's needs. All of that has happened just as if the child has been born. And yet they have no place to put this. They have no place to honor this within themselves. In all of those ceremonies that I led, that happened in the first ceremony kind of spontaneously. And in the second, third, fourth, I think I did it for four or five years. I made sure to bring that point forward. And every time, every time there was that collective wail, that collective sob. And I think that is a thing that exists. And most women's collective wail is not heard and not understood. I think we do need to understand that. Right. The way that we understand that is to understand that whether a child is born or not, the woman has offered herself to the altar of the great mother and has therefore dedicated herself in a particular way that needs to be respected and honored. Yeah. Yeah. And I heard it said, Amy Wright Glenn said it, that our bodies, just like they know how to give birth, they know how to mourn. But it sounds like you gave space for that mourning, for that wail to happen without it having to be suppressed. Mm, You created this safe place for that release that the body instinctively knows that it needs. Exactly. I'm using this spray. I'm sorry, because it clears space, you know, and it keeps things clear. This is some space clearing spray that actually might be a really wonderful thing for women who are grieving to have. This is a space clearing spray that I actually developed uh, for clearing spaces. We have something called the Space Clearing Society here at the Sacred Stream. And we clear the spaces where healers and which are defined very broadly, humanitarians live and work. And one of the things that happens when there's been a death is that the space shifts and it has a particular quality to it. And it can be the imprint of the one who has died. It can be the imprint of the, all of the emotions of the people who are left. Mm-hmm. And it can make things difficult to experience when there's a shift in the environment that is not well held or well understood. And so that's one of the reasons why people call us to come clear spaces is because things have happened there or the need to be cleared. And so I have three different sprays. I'm not trying to make this into an advertisement, but I just want to offer them as a support for people. The first one is to clear things generally. It has sage and eucalyptus, several types of sage, eucalyptus and rescue remedy, which I think is really key Mm. for this, for Mm -hmm. for people who are grieving. Agreed. The second is space clearing one, space clearing two, space clearing 
spray one, space clearing spray two, the space clearing spray three. I'm in competition with Chanel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, the space clearing spray two has frankincense and myrrh mm -hmm. and black tourmaline essence, mm -hmm. which is, of course, for heavier things. And a lot of people feel right. themselves stuck in a place of grief where they really can't move. And that spray, I find really helps alleviate the environment. And internally, I actually spray it all over myself. I like to put it in the back of my neck when I'm working. And then the third one, uh, which is one I was just working with is sandalwood and cottonwood and palo santo, which is for settling and grounding. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And of course, you can work with other plants to do that as well. You know, you can work with sage as a general clearing. You can burn palo santo on its own. You can burn frankincense on its own. But I find these to be really helpful. And when I was, again, giving those ceremonies to the community, I would bring massive amounts of this and we would just bring it sprayed around the room, you know, like just, I just hand it around yeah. for people to work with. And it was really helpful in keeping people moving through their grief. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it can get, I feel like held in the body, held in the cells, held even in a space, Yeah, as you said. And if we don't have the skills and sometimes even when we do that grief can be so strong and overwhelming we need help to move it and rescue remedy is a great way and homeopathic ignatia exactly is so helpful as well yeah i carry around ignatia i have 30c mm -hmm. 200c 1m 10m <laughs> i just carry it with me in my pocket when i'm i do a lot of ceremonies for people you know funerals and things and i like i carry it around yeah. Yeah. So the listeners, if you're not familiar, that's a homeopathic remedy, Ignatia. And I found even as I was walking through the grief of losing my stepmom and my mother-in-law and other grief, sometimes you just feel stuck of course, and you take it. And it's amazing how you can just get that shift that gives you some space to breathe and move that grief, I found. Well, you know, grief is, again, so complex. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, to have as many tools as you can with that. Ignatia is spelled I-G-N-A-T-I-A, -A, by the way. And Boron is the most widely available brand. Mm -hmm. And you can find it online or in a health food store. Yeah. And the sprays, if you were interested in them, you can go to sacredstream.org and, and you can buy them. Again, I know a lot of your listeners are people who help other people, right? Mm -hmm. And so having these tools in your pocket when you're there helping others is also a good idea. And for women who are going through some kind of loss, I think that one of the things that happens is I know myself, you know, like if I bang my knee or something like that, I'll just sit there going, oh, yeah. And I need somebody to come by and say, did you take your Arnica? Did you put yes, some ice on yes. it? <laughs> you know, yes. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> did you get the Arnica cream? Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, you need someone, you know, it's like you kind of, you need to be reminded that there are things because you get caught up in the experience of pain. And of course, pain is very complicated. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
And I'm thinking too, these tools would be, the sprays would be so helpful for bereavement doulas. Right, exactly. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, I really don't know how people work without plants when they're working with strong emotion. I've been working with people, helping people move through grief and loss in various ways for various reasons for over a quarter of a century. And as anyone knows who's lost someone close to them, it can get difficult. And so I'm always burning something or spraying something and opening the window to help the person be able to keep on going through the processing of the issue. And of course, you know, grief is such a, as I've said about six times by now, a complex issue. I mean, you have all these different emotions that are in it. And I think a lot of people, when they're grieving, they don't understand that. Right. The, the grief just feels like this big wave that throws, them, that comes, throws them down, right? Yes. But if you sit with grief and if you let yourself understand its anatomy a little bit, which is difficult to do, which is why, again, having the grounding of the connection with the great mother to help allows for that. In the book, there is the meditation and you can connect with her and then spend some time looking at the grief. And when you have that good grounding internally, then you begin to see there's different aspects of this grief. A lot of people have a lot of anger that's in the grief that they don't necessarily want to know about, Mm -hmm. much less, or if they do know about it, they don't want to express it. Right. Right. And so it gets displaced. And when that happens, you get all the iterations of anger coming up. You have resentment. You have people that have the negativity is expressed in a more tangential way, like jealousy or that others aren't going through this or frustration that they're not able to get through it anger at themselves for feeling the way that they do, you know, there's all these different iterations that until you sit down with the grief, you don't know. And plus, of course, there's a lot of other aspects of grief, not just the anger piece. There's also the sense of feeling completely out of control Mm -hmm. and, and all of the reactions that people have to that people generally don't respond well to that, right? you know, and being brought into a sense of powerlessness and complete lack of agency to change anything that is happening. And then you get another wave of grief, another wave of anger that you can't change anything. It just goes on and on and on. And so having the sprays or the plants there to kind of catch all of that and help transmute all of that is really helpful. And, you know, then you're left with just having to start over again and go through it again and again until it's done. And I think a lot of people have the expectation that you should just be getting over it. Yes. And that's especially true. I think I remember I worked with this one woman, she lost her baby, her baby was born and she lost it. And so she came to work around this. And as I was taking her emotional biography, it turns out that she had had eight miscarriages prior to that loss of that child. And I was like, Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. You know, I asked her, so how do you feel about those miscarriages? She was completely unaware that those were also loss. Like all she could think about was getting back in the saddle and getting pregnant again. So she wasn't thinking 
Mm. She didn't give herself the time to mourn all of those different losses. And when we sat down to look at the loss of her baby, the thing that really came forward for me in terms of where I thought we really needed to work and where, you know, I, of course, I let her find the way to that place on her own. I mean, with support, but I didn't say this is where we have to work. Right. But I knew that it was those first set of losses that she needed to clear within her in order to be able to hopefully even be able to be pregnant again mm -hmm. in a successful way, because the weight of the grief was so great within her, you know, and that has a strong effect on your ability to connect with creativity, with nurturing, with generativity. And so it's very, very important for people to take the time to understand that a miscarriage is a serious loss. Yes. And I'm not aware of that being something that people have to consider as a serious event that needs a ceremony, that needs some space, that needs some time. I'm sure that there are people that do see that and look at that, but I know the people who come to me haven't heard this, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there's a lot of people who haven't heard this. And I think it gets even more complicated when people have terminated pregnancies and then they've thought about what if, what if, what if, you know, and right. then that's really not something you're allowed to talk about. Right. Right. And all of the grief and all of the relief and all of the, you know, the, there's all these different types of emotions that are then combined in that. Right. And the relief that is not the relief, you know, <laughs> so, and the shame, and the shame, shame around it exactly. all. Exactly. There's a no matter how we lose a child. I know, so crazy, right? Why should there yeah. be shame? But you know, the thing is that shame. Again, what we're dealing with is a set of cultural constructs. Mm -hmm. All these expectations about women, about what women should be able to do, how they should feel who they are as a mother and what mothers are and what you're supposed to fulfill as a mother. All of these cultural constructs are what women are up against. And when they can't fulfill them, they turn on themselves. And whenever you have someone who's dealing with shame, there's always blame. Mm -hmm. So you have to look within the self and outside the self, but I'm talking about outside the self, there's this kind of negative view of women who can't fulfill the ideal mother archetype, but also women turn on themselves and they align with that negative view. And that is where the real, the real difficulty is. And that's where the difficulty needs to be addressed. And luckily, when you have a process of internal blame producing shame, that is something that you can change. You can't change other people's judgment or shaming of you. You can't change how they're thinking but you can change how you're thinking. <laughs> yeah. And in my book, Coming to Peace, I don't know if I've told you, or if you know about that book, Michelle, but this is a book that's about resolving conflict. Mm. It's a process of conflict resolution within a community, but it also has a process of inner conflict resolution that's described in it. And that might be if your listeners are dealing with this kind of shame related to this subject, that book might be helpful to them as well. Yeah, I'm thinking it could maybe be helpful too to couples if they're having conflict within the loss. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And you're bringing up a really good point because one of the things that you see very frequently, I mean, I've never not seen it actually, when there is a loss, everyone involved experiences it differently. Yes. Yes. And a lot of times the way that they experience it can be diametrically opposite to the way that others experience it. And when that happens with a couple, it can destroy the marriage. Yeah. If it's not resolved. Yeah. I've seen that happen. And I've seen marriages on the brink of going over the edge as a result of the two different responses to the loss of a child. Yeah. And I've taken so many couples through that. There has to be space for everyone to grieve in their own way. And of course, when someone's in a state of grief, they don't have a lot of tolerance for how other people are grieving, right? <laughs> you know, it's, and to be able to have the spaciousness to allow for that is, again, something that is facilitated by connecting with the power of the great mother for both parties to have this deeper field of intelligence, this deeper field of wisdom that is helping support them as they move through their own reaction, but also giving them an internal space in order to be able to entertain how another person might be responding and to be able to be a bit more sensitive to their response rather than to see it as an affront to their own way of being. Yeah. Earlier today, I interviewed Adam Angel, and we discussed how men can grieve differently than women. And if we're not aware of that, the fact that our partner, whether male or female, can grieve differently, we may feel that our partner didn't care about the baby, that they're not grieving, or he was describing how when his wife was grieving so heavily and crying, he just had difficulty continually holding the space for her tears and he would need space in that and he's a therapist but in that too he was a grieving father that's where connecting with the power of the great mother when you're in yes. in someone else's process there's a merging meditation on the website which is an adaptation of shamanic practice, which is about power filling. It's about filling with the power of, in shamanism, it can be with any type of helping spirit, but here we're talking about the great mother. It's basically a method of merging your own energy field with the power of the great mother. And that gives you a lot of spaciousness automatically. And that for mm -hmm. someone in his position, either as a therapist or as a husband, where you're trying to be able to stay present for another person's strong reaction, being merged with the power of the great mother, being power filled with her power and being able to sit back into it and allow her to help you hold the space for that person mm. is invaluable. And that process that I just described is something that all depth hypnosis practitioners are trained to do as they are working. And it's something whenever they're working with anyone, and it's something that I teach all of the doulas and midwives and nurse practitioners and doctors that I work with, you know, I teach a class called tracking spirit in the birth environment. And when I teach that class, it's often to professionals as well as birthing mothers and I teach that process of merging so that everyone in the birthing room is 
merged with the power of the great mother. And that shifts the atmosphere tremendously. And that creates a great deal of flexibility and resilience for difficulties that might emerge during the process of birthing. And so I just want to just offer more tools here for people who are trying to support others who are having grief responses that they don't fully understand or feel powerless to assist in. Yeah, yeah. It really does make a difference to tap into something greater than yourself in these very, what word do I want? It's like acute and intense situations when someone is walking through the grief and the shock of losing their baby. Yeah, it can be a lot to process. And I kind of touched on this before, but you know, the way that grief comes around again and again. And I think, again, a lot of people feel like, oh, I should get over it. Mm -hmm. And they don't understand that that grief that they're experiencing in the moment as it's happening is something that may revisit them for the rest of their lives in different ways on different levels. Yes. Not necessarily in the same form, but the process, the experience of loss will forever deepen and inform them. And you have to allow that process in order to be able to receive, strangely enough, the gifts of the experience of loss. And it's so weird to think about a gift coming out of loss but there's so much insight and understanding that can emerge as we grapple with the fact that we have absolutely no control over anything. Yeah. And there's a lot of wisdom that comes out of that if we can get past the rapids of the anger and the resentment and the jealousy. And, da, da, da. and we have to get through that. We have to feel all of that, express all of that, know all of that, and try to seek how to transform that into wisdom. Yeah. And of course, this is a very Buddhist idea of transforming poison into wisdom. You know, that, I'm not saying that grief is poison, but it feels poisonous to people, you know, and there is an alchemical process. If you stay with the process with the guide where that can emerge, but it's information that will keep dialing in over time, over time, over time. And you know, people think that there's something wrong with them because they lost their baby 10 years ago and, and they still cry at night or something, you know, it's like, right. you know, there's still something that is trying to be understood and expressed. Right. I feel like part of it is cultural as well, that we're supposed to move through our grief very quickly, that people can view us as broken, that people can, you know, we, we need to fix our grief or we want to fix the grieving and there isn't any fixing and we're not broken. Well, it's we are normal. broken. We are broken. <laughs> people who have lost a child, they are broken, um, but they're not broken forever, but they are broken. I mean, you are, you, you are broken. You are completely undone, you, you know, depending on the level of, of loss that you're experiencing, mm -hmm. you can be completely undone. And that has to be okay. Right. You know, you're trying to get to say you're not broken to make it okay. But the thing is, you need to say you're broken and it's okay. <laughs> you know, right. 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 And that's what I yeah, mean. Exactly. And I know you're trying. We want, yeah, we don't want, we don't want people to be broken. 
in it, you know, or we want to hurry up the process so they're not broken. But I feel like in what you're saying, yes, it does. It, it can completely undo us. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us that we need to be fixed. Well, we need to be healed. Mm-hmm. We do need to be healed. But the fact that we're broken, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And the truth is you do need to engage in the healing in order to come out of it. You do need to agree within yourself to try to understand what you are being taught through this experience. And I think that's the path to healing, that there is some meaning Mm -hmm. that we must try to find the meaning for ourselves, you know, it's not some culturally defined meaning, but that there is something that the process of grieving and loss can provide us. And there is something that we can learn about ourselves. And my class that I teach on this subject called grief and loss, in that class, I talk about that, if you don't try to understand what the process of death and grief is showing you about yourself, that you, you miss the opportunity to know yourself more deeply than you might have ever had the opportunity to do. Agreed. Because grieving and loss and death brings you into places within yourself that you might have known about you, but you would rather not go there. Right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And so you're forced mm-hmm. to go there. You have no choice. Yeah. And if you can do that, again, with the support of something, some field of intelligence like the Great Mother expressed in whatever way is meaningful to you, different people have different experiences of the Great Mother. Some people experience her as a mother bear. Some people experience her as the Virgin Mary. Some people experience her as an angel. Some people experience her as the ocean. You know, there's all these different ways of tapping into this field of generative, creative support that can help you as you try to perceive and understand what you are being taught about yourself and about your own life's path. I mean, one thing that I've seen not infrequently is that people who have undergone severe loss and fight to understand, not fight, 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 but they struggle to understand what its meaning is to them and what they have to learn about their deepest selves and what they have to heal within themselves that was probably always there needing healing. Like, remember, I mentioned this one woman who had the eight miscarriages before the actual death of the baby, and she hadn't known that she needed all of that healing, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until that death that all of that became evident. And that is not at all unusual that people only come to awareness about aspects of their experience that do need to be healed at the time of what feels like a catastrophic loss. Yeah, It's a great opportunity and to understand it as actually a gift to be able to have the presence of mind and the support to be able to try to understand what the deeper import of the loss is. You know, in Buddhism, they talk about how unusual it is to have a life where you encounter consciousness and to have an experience of 
birthing and dying, where you encounter consciousness and where you are able to take the reins of what you're being offered. The experience of loss hands you these reins and you take them and you learn to ride it. And, you know, to have that opportunity, to have the privilege of being able to have the time and space to explore the experience of loss on this level is something that we really need to acknowledge and honor because so many people around the world are just experiencing loss after grief, after loss, after grief, after loss, and they don't have the opportunity to think about this. They're just trying to survive. But for those of us that have the opportunity to do a little bit more than survive, I feel like we have a responsibility actually to listen to what we're being shown and to not push it away and to allow it to that embracing quality of the great mother to bring it within us and let it speak to us and let it help us understand how it's redefining us. And it's not the definition we thought it might've been when we thought we were going to have a baby and we lose the baby. It's a different definition. And the truth is that the path of motherhood is not always a path to joy. And we have this delusion And hopefully for most women, it is path to joy. But for many women, the path of motherhood can be a path of grief. And it may not be in the actual loss of the baby in pregnancy or the loss of a child. But there is, as children get up and grow up and move on and become themselves, there is a huge loss with each one of those stages, anyone who's has dealt with empty nest syndrome, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when I brought my daughter to kindergarten for the first day, I spent the whole day crying at home. You know, I was like, I've lost right. my daughter, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, and little did I know all of the ways, all of the places that she was going to fly away from me. Right. Mm-hmm. And children do that. And that is another unacknowledged aspect of motherhood. When there are all these different ways in which the child is changing and you have to give them, you know, that, that beautiful Jewish proverb, you give them roots and you give them wings and you have to allow those changes. Otherwise you can harm your child. If you don't allow them to move and become who they're going to become away from you. So grief is part of mothering in some level, no matter what, because birthing is connected to the process of creativity and creativity is connected to the process of forms falling away and new forms being born, right? Yes. And that happens as being a mother as well. Right. We mourn who we were before yes. we gave birth. Right. And there can be these losses of self that don't get acknowledged as well. Yeah. This is a big part of what postpartum depression is about. And nobody, nobody seems to really be able to like take that on, you know, and say, okay, so you've lost yourself. What does this mean? Yeah. Like, what have you lost? Yeah. Justine Leach is doing that with resilient birth. Great. Yeah. She does a beautiful job. She talks about the six losses of postpartum. Yeah. But you're right. Not many people do. It's you're just supposed to be happy with this new baby. (laughs) Right. Right. And then what if we don't have this new baby? Right. And then you're dealing with that and no baby. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 It's big. I mean, (laughs) this enterprise of living is huge (laughs) and it's very, 
entwined with the enterprise of dying. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. It's part of the same continuum, even though we try to separate it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask how could someone that's grieving invoke the Great Mother? Can you give a bit more details on that? Well, certainly you could invoke the Great Mother in any way that might be part of your own tradition where you might invoke the sacred through prayer or through a ceremony or through a ritual. In my book, I have a meditation. It's a guided meditation to help you connect with her while you're in an altered state of awareness. And I think it's really just a a pathway to her. It's your own pathway. You find your own path through the meditation. And I do have, I mean, it's in the book, but it's also on our website. The Great Mother Meditation is there and you can download it and listen to it again and again. And a lot of people find, especially when they're in a place of grief or when they're in a place of instability, I find that people really do benefit from having a guided meditation rather than trying to get there themselves, because we just run into, you know, when you're, especially when you're grieving, you just run into one obstacle after another, as you are trying to connect inwardly. And so if you have this help connecting with the great mother, then you can come back and deal with those obstacles from a more resource place. Yeah. So that would be my suggestion. And again, it's something that if you as a doula or a midwife are working with people who are trying to recover from some kind of baby loss or child loss, you can work with this meditation and help them connect after you have done the merging meditation and connected with the great mother. So again, then you're creating this big field big, big field of support and understanding, you know, the the potential for understanding. Yeah. So if someone wanted to get the meditation or find the resources, how can they reach you and reach those materials? So at sacredstream.org, that's S-A-C-R-E-D-S-T-R-E-A-M.org. There are all kinds of resources. There's lots of articles about this issue. There's some podcasts that are part of talks that I've given through the organization called Reimagine, which is an organization dedicated to reimagining death. Mm. Given several talks through them. And those are on podcasts there. And then in the store at the Sacred Stream, you'll find the sprays, the meditations, and then we can offer a gift for people of the meditation. So in the show notes, there will be the links and then also the sacred stream and Isa are gifting the great mother meditation for those that would like to access it. And the code will be in the show notes. So thank you for that, because I think for grieving parents that is such a valuable gift. So thank you. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Sure. And I'll ask the podcast masters at our end (laughs) (laughs) uh, to put the actual links to some of the talks. So that'll make it easy for people. Cause when you're, you know, when you're trying to deal with loss and grief, trying to, I know myself navigating a website is not the easiest thing to do. I I can never do it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And that's why Mm -hmm. 
I'm really excited about doing this podcast specific for baby moss because you can just digest it in little bits at a time. You can listen to an episode, you can stop, you can find which ones spark your interest. And I feel like that is so valuable because sometimes when we're grieving, you can just only take in so much information at once. Yeah. You know, I'm always helping people transition. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of my practice. I've been, I worked in hospice for years and years as a volunteer and as part of the shamanic practice, you know, I teach classes in applied shamanism and a big part of shamanic practice is something called the guiding of souls, which is something that you also find in Tibetan Buddhism, which is about how do you help someone transition? What are the types of guidance prayers that you can offer someone as they're transitioning? So I'm very engaged in this world of the passage between life and death. And I'm always helping someone transition. You know, I'm always saying prayers or doing ceremony for someone because of course, as a teacher and as a counselor, helping people during difficult times, and I'm helping people help other people during difficult times. So anyway, it's a place where I am, right? Mm -hmm. So I have several people right now who have lost, have suffered very, very difficult losses of loved ones. And I keep wanting to like give them the gift of the grief and loss class. And it's like, (laughs) they aren't ready for it yet right now. You know, they need a little time. Right. And then there's other people that are totally ready for it and they need it. You know, they absolutely need it. And so I'm just trying to speak toward to what you're saying is like, it's wonderful that you're doing this podcast. So people can, if they really want to go for it, they can just listen to as many episodes as they can, or if they just Mm -hmm. need a little bit, you know, they can just nibble and let that digest and then come back to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. I think we can take in so much and work through it, see how it applies to our grief. And then we integrate it and then, and do some healing. And then we can come back for more in a deeper way. A lot of times. Yeah. So thank you again. It's such an honor to get to speak with you again. And before we close out, this episode can you share one last pearl of wisdom there's been so many but can you share one last one that you would like to leave a grieving parent with that there is a path through and it's a matter of looking for it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's a journey and I think there's people that can accompany you on it and people that are ahead that can hold you up in those difficult spaces. Well, thank you again for doing all you do. I send many blessings to everyone who's going through any kind of experience of loss or grief and many blessings to all your listeners generally. Thank you. Thank you so much. And as a note, my episode with Adam is number 12 in case you're interested in listening. And you can find information on aromatherapy, homeopathy, Bach flower remedies in episode four. It contains self-care tips for pregnancy and infant loss. And it's also there on my website if you prefer it in written form.
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Law Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.